how can we tackle the cyber skill shortage? What's the best way to upskill the cybersecurity workforce? Does it take more than just passion to work in cybersecurity? These are questions we'll be exploring on this week's Cracking Cybersecurity podcast. I'm Anna Delaney, editor at TICE, and this week I chat with principal security consultant at Trustwave Spider Labs, Matt Lorenzen. We're told that the security cyber skill shortage is worsening, and according to the annual global study of cybersecurity professionals by the Information Systems Security Association and Enterprise Strategy Group, it's impacted nearly three quarters of organizations. So what can be done about it? On the podcast, Matt gives some great advice to anyone looking to work in cybersecurity, as well as employers who want to upskill their current workforce. The skill shortage is apparently getting worse. It is, yes. Why do you think that is? Um, There's a number of reasons. There's obviously a higher demand for people that understand IT infrastructure as companies adopt more and more technologically focused solutions. Um, If you look at the courses that are coming through from university, they're very focused on sort of deployments and uh, networking. There's a lot of application focus. Security kind of gets wrapped up into courses, but there is still a development of security-focused courses. Um, And that kind of brings this this problem where you need experienced people that can uh, attest to the security of systems, depending on what information is running on them. So what sort of talent are you looking for? What are we missing? So we're missing people that have got a real drive. Obviously, you have to have a, a, a good understanding, a strong understanding of technology. Um, the challenge when you're looking at it purely from a security perspective is it, it requires kind of a, um, a, a good foundation in traditional IT before you can kind of wrap around that security focus. Um, so it takes time to, to bring these people in. And also the job isn't purely focused around technical delivery. There's, there's a customer-facing aspect to it. So there's a, so there's a consultancy requirement for people. Um, ultimately, you're trying to facilitate change for a customer. Uh, trying to bring in that assurance about what their you know, their goals for projects are, um, and so those soft skills uh, you can only really develop those with experience, and those are the sorts of things that are very difficult to to teach. Um, you often find that people coming into the industry there's a there's a ramp up period where they have to get accustomed to the way networks work. I guess a good example of that would be that um, if you're looking at networking infrastructure, predominantly Windows infrastructure, if you've never really done any Windows administration, you've never deployed those types of common um, scenarios, those common infrastructures you find in business, um, it's very difficult to understand uh, a network overall. So you kind of that, that experience, you need people to be driving their own technical abilities forwards in practice labs and you know, looking at how the industry is changing. Um, which takes time and effort and uh, it's so fast-paced that things quickly shift and become um, uh, out, of, uh, out of phase, I guess. Yeah, that, that, that sort of, uh, the way that people deploy things becomes um, obsolete. So what, what do you think should be done? So there's a couple of things we can do. We can realise that we don't want to have a pure focus on technical ability, um, looking at developing soft skills, um, soft skills like reporting, uh, and understanding those types of uh, deliverables, because ultimately clients, that's all they really see is, is that type of a written format. So understanding that. Being able to talk at different levels, so knowing when to talk uh, with a more sort of business focus. So even looking at reading about business and understanding the, the, the foundations of business, how that bolts together. 
um, why a customer would actually be even deploying te technology solutions in the first place and how does it facilitate their business. Um, I think we can bring it further back down the chain if you look at education. Just being introduced to computer security as perhaps an elective part of a degree is probably a little bit too late. We can start folding in this sort of security mindset much further down the educational chain. Maybe looking at GCSE or even A-level would be potentially the best solution so that you're starting to give people that mindset about not just how technology uh, is deployed, but how it can be secured. And then you kind of bring that through as a workforce and you're not having to um, sort of backfill those gaps. I mean, application testing is, is a perfect example that a lot of the developers I've met that have gone through the system, they, they state that whilst you get taught how to build applications to meet requirements, the security facets of bolting an application together often come much further down the line. Um, which then creates problems because people become accustomed to uh, developing in insecure ways and then you have to fix those issues. So if you can push that further down the chain and eradicate them before they become problems, then that's a more efficient uh, solution. It's interesting because a lot of security professionals I talk to say, well, we just want enthusiastic people mm. uh, who are passionate. Yeah. Um, they can come from any walk of life, so, mm -hmm. you know, a fitness trainer or a, yeah. sort of a plumber, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But is that enough? I think you need people that are doing this regardless. That's definitely a facet. A lot of this industry is self-directed learning because it moves so quickly. So if, if you're the sort of person that doesn't like chasing that carrot um, and never getting there, then you're going to struggle because um, it's really important to just be wanting to do it because you want to find out how things work or you want to understand where you could potentially uh, find flaws. I guess having that... Um, mischievous side of your personality certainly helps. Um, but so a bit of a, like a hacker? Yeah, exactly. It's no, it's, there's nothing wrong with looking at how you can potentially look to break things. That's part of the role. But ultimately, it's not just about breaking things. It's being able to break things to facilitate some change. Um, but you also need mentors because like self-directed learning is great, but how do you know that what you're learning is the thing that you're supposed to be learning? So you need that tenacity to be able to uh, hit a challenge and sort of keep coming back to that challenge and even if it doesn't immediately make sense then just keep coming back until you can find those threads that make it unravel. But in the same respect you also need people that have also already walked that and can kind of see when you're down a complete dead end and it's a complete waste of time to kind of nudge you back on track a little bit and give you that, um, that moment of epiphany to be able to um, keep you going forwards, otherwise it's, uh, it's, a, it's an inefficient way of learning. So I think you, know, you need the combination of people that have walked it and the tenacity to, to really want to walk it yourself. Did you have a mentor? Or do you uh, not in the beginning, no. Um, there's a lot of resources out there uh, and you can reach out to a lot of people. So I communicated with lots of people online and um, when things didn't necessarily make sense to me I would reach out to those people. Um, and then as I moved further into my career, as I came into the industry, um, there were other people above me that I, I was quite happy to ask lots and lots of questions and pester them at all hours and because I was very hungry to, uh, to build as much knowledge as I could. And I'm, you know, even though I'm getting older now, I don't think that's really, that's really waned for me yet. So what about current employees? What about upskilling the workforce? Yeah, so my big thing is that it has to be relevant. So if you're trying to, um, if you're taking somebody and you're trying to mould them, then you need to have a good understanding of what it is that you're uh, trying to mould them into to meet the business requirement. 
So um, looking at where their gaps are, so it starts with a really good appraisal of where they're, where they're really skilled and where you, you want to give them further support. I mean, I've had graduates that I've worked with that are far better application testers than I am. Um, so, you know, it's also knowing when to be humble and be the student and realise that everybody has a specific niche, um, particularly in IT security, that they, they can bring to the table. But looking at ways that you can develop that further. I'm a big fan of representative training, so building representative company networks um, so that people aren't, you know, they're dealing with what we see in the real world all the time and I've released tools etc that try and add in that realism um, because for me I don't want anybody to build any complacency into their skill set, it's far too easy to kind of think, oh well I, I wouldn't do that in the real world so therefore I won't do it here. Um, or I will do it here. It's kind of like that train like you fight type mentality. So can you give me an example? What, what tools are we talking about? Uh, so I released an open source tool which is designed to represent people because one of the things that I found in these labs that I was building for mentoring programs and stuff is that they were just collections of machines and there wasn't any, apart, the machines had a relationship but there was no traffic and then of course that's not what you see in the real world, particularly in red teaming, things like that, you're often attacking the people themselves. And I could see that there was a gap there and I wanted to train um, with that sort of mindset. So I built tools that could emulate user behaviour, so you create sheeple and you give them tasks and they perform these tasks over a period of time but it's kind of giving you a sparring partner or something to bounce off. You never really know when the tasks that you've assigned them are going to happen, just that they are going to happen. So there's that learning objective, there's a goal there. It's not just kind of aimless learning, but it still gives you that ability to focus on tradecraft so that you're kind of reacting in the real world. As an example, if you're key logging or you're looking at trying to intercept somebody's password, when, if you don't know when that's going to happen, when it finally does happen, you respond as you would in the real world. And that was really important to me to kind of build that into both my sort of learning and, and the other people that I was supporting. And it's been, it's been successful in doing that. And what do you think the benefits uh, are in upskilling the current workforce versus employing someone externally? Well, there's certainly high demand for people, isn't there? So, you know, certainly it's a, it's a buyer's market in terms of very, very experienced people. There's a, there's a wealth of opportunities out there for them. I think the benefit for um, upskilling internal people is that they already know the business and they're already a known entity to you. So you, a lot of the time they've already been in the role for a while and you can identify whether somebody really has that tenacity, as an example, whether somebody really is... Um, that keen to sort of progress further, they're, they're probably writing tools all the time and they're very eager to share. Um, and you know, it, it's a much more sort of relaxed dialogue, so you identify those strong performers internally uh, and then you can formulate uh, development programs around where they need support. For example, application developers that have never done any networking put them into training environments that represent real-world networks and then you know, give them challenges and guides and, and objectives and treat it as if it would be a real client. Um, and then that can give them that real-world experience. At that real-world experience, I mean, it probably only comes from the real world. Yeah. But if there are people out there in other professions or even at you know, university at the moment, what could they be doing to help them along the way, how mm. to get an essence of that, at least mm. real-world experience? 
Yeah, so look at where the industry is progressing and look at where the gaps are, like where, not just where is it now, but where is it going and, and what can you do to formulate skills that ultimately then land you in a place where there's a high demand. An example of that is around cloud infrastructure. Now a lot of people are shifting towards that cloud infrastructure um, approach. So, you know, having a strong understanding of how uh, cloud vendors work, how the infrastructure is put together, is something that would, is going to put you in good stead because then you don't have to, to, to learn all of those, those capabilities. Um, so I think it's about kind of being progressive in, in, in your learning and, and looking very closely at how the industry is changing and trying to sort of ride that wave. But it's very difficult because, it, as I say, it's, it's such a fast-paced um, change and you know, often, often things can change overnight. I think the second thing is there's lots of resources out there to kind of get the basics down. Um, YouTube has a lot of really good resources that I've absorbed. There's lots of really good websites out there. There's lots of information available to people. It kind of falls back to how do you know what good information is, but that's always a challenge with any field, I think. Where do you but, get your information from? Uh, lots of places. I have a very long uh, list of feeds that I've been cultivating carefully uh, over the years. I, I follow quite a few people that I... Um, would deem to be kind of industry pioneers. Any and I, you, you can recommend in particular? Um, well, people like um, Sean Metcalf, if you're interested in Active Directory development, he's, he, he's certainly the man when it comes to understanding Active Directory um, and a, place that I, a guy that I follow quite a lot because, again, Microsoft, particularly Active Directory, is ubiquitous in, in corporate environments and, and Sean um, tends to focus on security aspects of Active Directory, so that's really good, a really good resource. Um, some of the vendors release a lot of really good information around networking as well, so that's quite good. Um, certainly understanding IPv6 would be of tremendous um, help to you moving forwards, as that's where um, the progression in, is, is going. So yeah, uh, there's, there's lots of information out there for people that can uh, build those skills gaps themselves, or at least start to, uh, for little or no cost. And finally, what are a few steps um, for employers? What can they do to, to close the gap? Um, so again, identify these key individuals. The, the, the skills gap is there. I mean, it might not necessarily always be applicable for a company to look at uh, building their own in-house team. Maybe there's budget requirements there, or maybe they're just not big enough, which is where there's a benefit for you know, employing managed service providers. Um, to look at how they can sort of augment that department. So that's quite important, you know, making sure that you're not just doing it because it's um, something that you feel you should do. There's a real need and there's a real benefit to the business, both in terms of agility and cost. So if that does seem like it's a good fit for you and there are people that are keen, um, conversations are a good place to start. Find out what they're doing outside of their day-to-day -day role. Um, I've met some really good system administrators who are equally good at security. Um, that's not their primary role, um, but that's you know something that uh, is quite important to them. There are people in our industry that have released some very important tools for hacking that aren't even working in our industry. So you know, it may be identifying those people that have got an interest um, and already doing this, but you're just not aware of it. I think from there, certainly trying to understand where, what foundations uh, they already have in place. Um, particularly, if, so if you're looking at networking, you know what sort of understandings they have of networking. Maybe online tests, quizzes. You know, trying to understand, get a feel for where their information is, um, and look at how you can augment that with courses. 
you know, MIT courses as an example, they release a lot of free um, courseware and stuff. So there's lots of resources out there that you can get people started. But really it's making sure that they're still enthusiastic after a couple of months. If you've got that person that's just asking for more and more and more, um, at that point you know you've found the right sort of candidate and they're the sort of people that you can uh, lift up through the organisation and focus purely on security as a role for them. What do you most love about your job? Um, I like the challenge of trying to find, um, chaining things together, that, that's, that's quite, quite interesting. Quite often people, I, I, like, I like the challenge of interfacing with customers as well, like ultimately people don't like being attacked. So I like to try and break down that relationship where you're seen as an adversary and you're, you're kind of really a trusted provider, you're trying to build that trusted partnership but people don't like being attacked, so you have to tread that very carefully. Um, I like realistic attack. You know, I like to try and represent real world as much as I possibly can. Um, but ultimately, I like facilitating change. I like the consultancy part of it. I like being able to do a good delivery, finding some really interesting things technically, reporting on them well, and then having a good uh, outcome for the client and a good relationship off the back of that and hopefully repeat business. I mean, I've been a lot involved in a lot of projects where we've continued then to move through phases with the client, and I think that comes back to my consultancy where you're used to delivering a project all the way through. Every iteration, you kind of uh, elevate the security baseline, so it's, it's, it's very fulfilling from that perspective. Plus, I have a slightly mischievous side, so uh, it definitely um, satisfies that hunger. <laughs> that's good, that's great. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Thank you to Matt. Hope you found that useful. And that's all we have time for this week. Please do get in touch with us with any comments or questions. We'd absolutely love to hear from you. Do also feel free to rate, comment on and subscribe to our shows. It really helps other cyber enthusiasts find our podcasts. For now, it's bye from us. Do join us next time for more Cyber Conversations.